0: Hello, Akaville Radio. Welcome to another episode of Capella. I am one half of your host, Brian Alexander. And I'm the other guy, John Lampus. John, how's it going today, man? It's been a while since we spoke. It's How are you doing?
1: It's been a bit. You know why? Because you've been in Japan. You I were know. cuddling with foxes. You and your <laughs> lovely wife, Laura, went to the Miyagi village. And I remember... I think, because Thursdays are normally when we record. Today we're recording on a Saturday, and we'll get to that mm-hmm. in a second. But it was like Thursday, and I'm like, oh, man. Yeah, this is usually when I talk with Brian. Oh, well, I'll see what he's doing. Go on Facebook. And then there's this photo of Brian and his wife and, like, hundreds of foxes. And I was like, okay. I know. You know, I... That is that is a bit of a changeup from podcast night, but I think I'm, I think it looks like you had a great time. How was Japan, Brian? Japan was awesome. Let me just
0: say that I'm from the south, and we <laughs> usually talk about southern hospitality. I, I think by far the the people in Japan are by far the nicest people I've ever met in my life, and the food was amazing. Foxes were incredible. Foxes are my favorite animal, so I really enjoyed that. And the sights, man. One, one day, you know, all the Akabil radio listeners out there, you got to get out to Japan. Please It's do definitely it. worth it.
1: I've never been there, but I did take Japanese for three years in high school. I, I think it's great you had the chance to go, man. And But it's good to have you back. And now we are going to continue with the international kind of tone we've set already. And we're going to mm-hmm. talk with Nicholas Gerard today. Nick, how you doing, man? Hi, guys. How are you? Well... I'm not covered in foxes right now, so not as good as Brian. Well, Brian's not currently covered hey, in foxes. I've
0: showered since then, so I'm good. Okay, you know?
1: yeah, I'm sure that's what you said. That's what you said. But I don't, I don't know. I mean, foxes don't have like, do, can you get like fleas from foxes? Can humans even get fleas? I, I'm not sure, but you know they're still wild
0: animals, so you can. I'm sure you can catch something.
1: Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. That's fair. Yeah. So I'm officially going to take this moment now to finished talking about foxes and now we're going to talk about acapella because that's why we're here but I just <laughs> I, I just really like foxes. Nick everything going well with you?
2: Yeah yeah everything's really good. Um, just got back from Australia almost a month ago so everyone's jet lag is almost worn off. Wow of takes Blair, And our son was there we there as well so it took a little time getting back into the swing of things but we're just about there now so yeah everything's good.
0: What took you to Australia?
2: I was there with uh, a group a British acapella group called the Magnets. Oh, okay. I'm the director for and the music director and um, also a performer for the Adelaide Fringe Festival. So we were there for five weeks performing oh at the Adelaide Fringe, which is the Australian counterpart to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, Oh, okay. yes. 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 which most people have heard of. So the Adelaide one is either the biggest or the second biggest, but runs essentially in partnership with the Edinburgh Fringe. So it's all sort of the the same folks. Running this kind of fringe thing that tours around the planet. Wow! Wow! So. Yeah,
0: and I'm looking at our our list here of uh, your what makeshift resume that I that we put together, and I'm just like, uh, I, dude, I didn't it's, know so that. It's, it's so long. long, it's so long. I'm time time. like, I forgot <laughs> even more details, so my just
1: keep adding them all. Yeah, I, I mean, the, the magnets
2: is a new is a new ish thing. I mean, the the group itself has been around for nearly 25 years, and it started out as being the only sort of contemporary a cappella group in the UK. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Since then, to my knowledge since then, the only group that's come up that also fits that bill is the Sons of Pitches. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, who, of course, have have existed for a long time as a university group and then became more of a semi-pro and then pro group through the success on a Gareth Malone choir program mm-hmm. that, I would, mm-hmm. that I was a, a celebrity juror for um, that ran on BBC Two. <laughs> So, but those are the only real contemporary groups that exist in the UK on, on a professional level. Obviously, they're like the Swingles and the King Singers and several mm-hmm. other groups of a chorus. You know, we've
1: sure. heard of the Swingles. I've, I've yeah, heard of them. You might have heard of them. Yeah. <laughs> Nick, would you like mind just like giving us as, as brief as you can make it, which I'm sure will be really hard, just kind of an overview of your time and the contemporary acapella world, music in general. I know that's a lot, maybe you need to like, maybe you have a script ready to go that's like four or five pages, <laughs> but uh, I think it'd be great for our listeners who maybe don't know exactly who you are or all your many accomplishments, just to get a sense of your role in the contemporary acapella community. Sure,
2: so I I learned about contemporary acapella when I was at the University of Vermont Um, The male a cappella group there called the Top Cats, I stumbled upon while just walking through the bowels of the music building one night, coming back from a keyboard class or something, some kind of piano class. And Mm -hmm. I heard a group singing It's Probably Me, the Sting song Mm -hmm. from Lethal Weapon 3. Oh, yeah. Um, So I was like, oh, man, I love this song. I love Sting. I love Michael Kamen. and And then never heard it again. That was the one single time that I heard the group. And then saw an audition poster leaving my dorm once that said, chicks dig guys who sing come audition for the UVM Topcats." Cats. Mm. Um, yep. To which I thought, oh, that must have been the group that I heard. Uh, so I auditioned, having never met any of the guys, never saw a show or anything, didn't really know what I was auditioning for and got in and then quickly started getting into arranging because my background is more instrumental. So I was a jazz guitar player and stuff. So I, I really liked harmony
3: didn't mm-hmm. know anything
2: about didn't know anything about voices per se and how to write for voice and just started you know lifting chord voicings off my guitar and slowly but surely realizing through incredible failure <laughs> what things worked and what didn't what sort of translated what didn't you know started studying the the arrangements that the group was already doing so then became the music director the next year i'm a i'm a drummer as well so i started beatboxing pretty straight away just having like understanding the drumming language but not having the sounds yet So the guy Mm -hmm. who was beatboxing in the group, this who was from Russia, had really good sounds, but wasn't a drummer. So his sensibilities weren't necessarily there. So he would ask me, what should I do for a drum beat on this song? And then I would scat a bunch of stuff back to him and then realized, oh, all I'd have to do is learn how to do these sounds and then I could do this. So then fast forward to graduating school, well, with a mathematics degree in an industry where you couldn't get a job in the tech field really at all, because I graduated right after 9-11 happened. I worked as a carpenter for about 10 years. And then while I was doing that, really missed singing. So I started a group uh, on the North Shore of Massachusetts called Overboard, uh, which was meant to kind of be like the North Shore version of Highness Sound. I just wanted mm. it to be like a fun summer thing yeah, where people, we could just get some guys together to come sing where the people park their yachts. And we did that casually for a couple of summers and then you know a few people would hang on throughout the year and we would just tool around with stuff and then eventually we decided oh actually enough people want to want to keep singing that maybe we should make this something else the big thing that kind of got overboard noticed was a kind of like a like a concept album kind of thing that we decided Mm -hmm. to do called help which is just based on it's all beatles music and it was we sort of loosely conceived this love story between billy shears and eleanor rigby and like kind of (laughs) put all this music together to sort in a a rock opera kind of way to sort of like
1: did she die in the song i can't remember father mackenzie yeah Yeah, she's dead okay okay there's
2: no there's no continuity here yeah i mean and who knows what happened to billy but we (laughs) you know, just strung a bunch of songs together. And that was the thing that sort of got me noticed by the contemporary acapella scene at large. Mm-hmm. And I think at the time, a lot of people thought I was this like really clever guy, like straight out of college or whatever. I mean, at the time when I made it, I was 29 or no, th- I was 30. I was 30 because it was 2009. So people were very surprised to find out that I was a little bit more established and mature. than they expected but it's just because my path to it wasn't wasn't all that linear but then through the overboard thing once once help happened i decided that i'd like to get into engineering and stuff because it was just cheaper than hiring someone else to do it right Uh, yeah and my my brother is an audio engineer went to the heart school of music and you know very well-schooled engineer yep. and stuff so I picked his brain a bit and just kind of got into that stuff and then working on a project with overboard called free track Tuesday which I devised specifically just so that I could put myself on a work schedule so mm-hmm. every week we had to we had to come up with a song that we wanted to do arrange it from scratch record it and then put it out within that week um, just to I just wanted to put the the actual pragmatic work constraints on what the job would mean to put myself on a on a timeline mm-hmm And so then through doing that, the guys on Sing Off Season 3 were looking for somebody who could fly out to LA to work with all the contestants on the recording, the sort of compilation recording that they do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because I was essentially doing the same exact thing at my house at the time. (laughs) I came up in their minds as somebody who could do it. And of course, I knew Ed because he'd worked on Help, mixing engineer for Help. And I knew Deke sort of just... Because everybody knows Deek, yeah, but had never really met him, and so yeah, I I went out to LA and I I was hired by Epic Records to do that album. So I was I was the first audio engineer to ever record Pentatonics.
1: Really, uh, wow, that's a little bit of trivia, man. Which is quite cool. That's really cool. You know,
2: working very yeah. very early on in their sound, and I wonder if the statute of limitations is up on that project or not. If I'm allowed to talk about <laughs> some of the stuff that went on in the like the sort of underlying issues that went on through that or not. I mean, I'll, maybe I'll avoid it just or safe. or
1: you could not and then you could right. tell us all the details <laughs> about it
2: fundamentally the issue was that the groups were being tasked to make this album but not necessarily by the tv producers by the label and so mm. the, so the huh. tv part and the label part weren't necessarily in agreement as to how people's time should be spent so i ended up recording songs i had to arrange i, I would literally sit in the green room the sony vip room at while the tapings were happening, and guess who was going to get kicked off the show? Wow! And start arranging the song for them—the swan night song thing—during the taping. Oh, geez. well, the song, what? the song that I was then going to record with them the next day after everyone was really sad that they'd been kicked off the show, and then they would get brought up to my hotel room where we had made a makeshift studio in there, and people would record a song that they'd never heard.
0: Really, that
2: is. Were they super... like really
1: depressed, or did everyone have to learn their swan song, or did you just, or or did? You so you arranged just for the group you thought was gonna get kicked off. Yeah. Oh man.
2: And I would I would confer with the arrangers and like what do you guys think? Who's who's looking <laughs> who's looking really strong this week? I mean, I just need to know who I can rule out so that I can make an educated guess as to what things I should be working on during the taping so that I can be prepared
1: when they show up in my room tomorrow morning. And they <laughs> Wait, knew that? they were getting kicked off by the time they showed up, right? Or they knew they they had oh, already yeah they off.
2: had been they'd been kicked off by the time they came to my room yeah Man. and then it's like oh yeah no I know you guys aren't on the show anymore but before you're allowed to leave you Let's have to go this. see this guy whom you've never met and sing the arrangement he wrote for you that you've <laughs> never seen for the song that you probably didn't even pick you know so it wasn't it wasn't like
1: the best circumstances through which to work with the groups if you know mm-hmm. what I mean. I'll say this, Brian. I think you know sometimes I feel like I'm trying to be more organized in my life and you know we're keeping this podcast going just you know you and me talking getting all our help. I feel a little bit better about that right now. Just like <laughs> okay, you know what? We're we're doing okay. We're doing okay. It doesn't okay. sound okay, as think... stressful as other
0: people's lives, nope. you know? no, I No it doesn't. Nick. <laughs> I think if you if you look at if you look at
2: label projects across the world, you'll probably feel quite good about your own level of organization, I think.
1: <laughs> you know what? I do. I'm pretty great. yeah. Brian, we're awesome.
0: Yeah, I, I think life is, is not going too too badly for us. Brian I, hung out with Foxes last week.
1: I have a job <laughs> interview next week, but things are okay.
0: I know. And, and Nick, I'm, I'm hearing all, all of the different stuff that you've, you've been involved with and all the things that you're doing. And I'm just curious, you know, between like golf, and I know you mentioned doing stuff with BBC and mm-hmm. um, you are sound engineer. How, how do you prioritize all these different projects? because I'm looking at a quote here from Deek and he says there are few Renaissance men in acapella who can do it all and at the highest levels like you and I'm just curious what takes precedence in your life with your many skills and talents
2: Well it's a good question for me I think because I'm a bit more of a tech I mean I am an artist but I'm a technical artist if that makes sense there's like just as much. Mm-hmm. Just as much technical stuff going on in my mind as there is artistic stuff, mm-hmm. and so to some degree, I need the I need I need things to be different in order for me to stay engaged with stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. And so the the way my career has just kind of happened to unfold works really well for me because I don't have to do the same thing all the time. Mm-hmm. And. By and large, I mean it's it's kind of hard to answer that question because since having a kid, mm. schedule doesn't really exist anymore in a way that it once did.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I'm sure, throwing, just like out the window at this that's point. That's the
2: thing. Yeah. yeah, it's thrown a whole new comp- like level of complexity into it. But I mean, for for me, it's it's often been an issue of just trying to trying to forecast and look ahead and make sure that work is coming in, mm-hmm. and that work that work invariably comes in various forms. The benefit to my touring schedule is that I can always do my other stuff while I'm on tour so I mm-hmm. think if I had to say if I had to pick like one secret secret weapon that I employ often in order to keep all these different cogs moving it would be that I can edit and mix and arrange while I'm on the road touring yeah mm-hmm. so I'm very I'm very very infrequently only doing one job
1: yeah it's an eclectic skill set you have and I think that makes sense that you have an eclectic workload and all these kind of different streams that you're working on at once. And I think that's something that is more, you know, not even related to acapella, but that's something that is just become much more of a modern kind of career path and career kind of setup for a lot of people where before, you know, my dad's worked at the same uh, contracting firm for, you know, like 30 years, whereas now right. our generation and younger generations are, you know, and I didn't study economics or job stuff or anything like that. But I think you can see it in things with like Patreon and how people can get involved in so many different things now. They're the diversity and the collection of smaller projects and smaller pursuits. Um, is making up and consuming more of people's time as their like primary source of income, even it's even if it's all from like slightly different areas. And I think that is really exciting sometimes. I think it's I think it's really cool because it's not and not that there's anything wrong with a routine, but I'd have to imagine it's fulfilling to kind of jump from one thing to the other and it doesn't feel like you ever probably get tired of one thing since you're always moving around.
2: Yeah, exactly. It kind of just keeps the monotony fatigue to a yeah, minimum,
1: exactly. which is cool.
2: I refer to my career as a portfolio musician, yeah, if that, that makes sounds, sense, because yeah. that's kind of how it works. You know, there's there's some engineering, there's some performance, there's arranging, there's clinician work and teaching and stuff. So it's like a lot of artists. You can't just have one stream. You know, even famous, yeah. re- really famous artists all have a cologne or
0: perfume
1: line like everybody diversifies so does their, brian their brand that
0: was a secret john i was, I was keeping hey, that in the uh, works
1: there is a hilarious photo of brian that i'm not allowed to mention with him wearing a oh fedora that in this hypothetical cologne <laughs> would be for you um hey we
0: all went through our college phases here yeah, yeah.
1: but not all us wore a fedora um <laughs> I'm
0: sorry <laughs> so, so so Nick, back to Nick, who the, yes. the focus should yes. be on which aspect is there one that you enjoy most out of that because you do so much when you mentioned the ranging, and the the engineering and then the performance stuff you you perform with the magnets, house jacks, and you've done a lot of performance background. Is there one that you have more of a love for? at all though i like all of them or else i wouldn't do them
2: i think the one that feeds back to me the most is probably arranging mm-hmm. followed very closely by editing which is a really weird thing to say because no i for get most that. people that's like the grueling bit that they don't care about but yeah they're for different reasons but arranging to me is that's more of my sort of style of composition Mm-hmm. So that, that's where I kind of like speak my language. So, so to speak. You're
1: where your creative spirit like resonates yeah. the most. Exactly. Yeah.
2: That's kind of my medium for, for writing. Mm-hmm. And so that's important. And then editing. I really love all of the micro level stuff. It's the same stuff that I love mm-hmm. about rehearsing is taking something apart and really digging into its smallest granular level mm-hmm. and polishing it from there. Yeah. And with editing, you just you just get to do that with somebody's stuff after the fact so it's like it's like rehearsing them once they've already done
1: it but it's almost like on your time and in because because when you're rehearsing there is yeah i'm a teacher right now and teaching choirs and stuff when you're rehearsing and trying to get to that granular level there's so many factors and they're like okay well we rehearse this part too much we get too into the nitty-gritty people are going to get bored and dissatisfied and whereas when and I know it's a different kind of thing but when I'm audio editing uh, podcasts like it's all on my time and it's at my pace so I can like get as nitty-gritty as I want and then also choose like how gritty I want to get so you're like facilitating your own art form I mean obviously a lot of people facilitate their own art form but you're facilitating the pace and you're in control of that whereas with something like rehearsing or um, arra- even arranging, if you're like on a deadline or something, there's not, and I mean, there's deadlines for editing, but there's not quite as much, I, I don't want to say control, but you just have more obligations to get things done in a certain way at a certain time. Whereas I think with editing, I definitely see what you're talking about. It's not something that resonates quite as much with me. I've always been more into performing or talk, like kind of talking like we do now and punditry and whatnot but that's i think editing is something in the acapella world that maybe you know it well it's just not as glamorized as you know obviously as performing no. or even arranging and arranging i think is getting more you know with or vocal percussion with you know the awards at icca's best arrangement and everything right now right now but you don't think about editing is not something that's it doesn't have that sensationalist factor even though it can right. be so satisfying and it's so crucial and i think it's really great that you're kind of illuminating this side of it for us mm-hmm. to see like okay well this is what goes into it and this is how it makes me feel and this is why it's important
2: yeah i mean there isn't i can't think of i mean i've you know spoken with loads of other mixing engineers and I can't think of a single one who doesn't feel like the editor is, without a doubt, the most important
1: mm-hmm.
2: part of mm-hmm. that chain and definitely the unsung hero of that entire thing. I mean, there's so much musicality that goes into the editing process that then translates instantly to what a mix feels like. Mm-hmm. And mixing engineers get to be their most creative when presented with tracks that are already music. Yeah. If you're given a set of tracks that, you know, yeah, they're they're in tune and technically they are quote unquote in time, <laughs> but feel really robotic in both tuning and temporally, like if things feel robotic, then the mixing engineer is stuck the whole time trying to make the mix feel like something. Mm-hmm. instead of mm-hmm. actually being able to be creative with all the tools and work on the creative space instead of just making it functional, if you know what I mean, so. Definitely. It works with my dork brain, I think.
1: I get that. <laughs> uh, so we're gonna actually take a quick break here really quick. Uh, we're gonna pass it on over to Amanda Tran with her segment, Notable Coverage. And we're gonna be right back here on Tacapella with Nick Gerard.
4: Hey everyone, and welcome back to Notable Coverage here only on Tacapella on Oakville Radio. I'm your host, Amanda Tran, and every week on Audible Coverage, I talk about a different song that has been done numerous, numerous times in the a cappella world and kind of break down why that may be. For episode 24, we are talking about Bottom of the River by Delta Ray, not to be confused by River by Bishop Briggs, which I definitely talked about in a previous episode. Um, Bottom of the River is by this awesome band, Delta Ray, kind of... Americana Rock, Soulful, really awesome. Definitely check them out if you only know this song. Um, Bottom of the River has been in sets since the release of this song, and I honestly have gotten really tired of it. Even this past um, acapella competition season, I'm not going to name any groups. not even going to say if it was a high school or college group. I heard the song in their set, and... Yes, although it is very impressive and sounds really cool and is very intense and is easily um, a song that you can show emotion and power in, it's very predictable. So if I'm in the audience or judging and I hear this song, I'm automatically turned off just because it has been completely overdone. Um, the reason why I believe this song has been done so many times is that right when you listen to the original version, it starts out completely a cappella. Any songs that have any acapella components in them, I feel like arrangers and acapella groups are automatically like, oh my god, we need to do this song, and I'm definitely guilty of that, and I still do that, but still, there's no excuse, you should try to make it your own in any way that you can. Along with that, um, the melody in this tune is super memorable, relatively easy, and the harmonies are, they just sound great, even though they're predictable harmonies, they just sound amazing, Um, And there's also an aspect of gang vocals, which is also a really cool and fun aspect and powerful moment in a live set, I believe. The solo in the "Bone of the River is very soulful. And if you are able to pull it off, it's a super impressive solo because the range is really big. You have to have certain intensity and tenacity to sing it and just also the ability to emote that much emotion. In the solo as well, the backgrounds of the song are super percussive. Um, there's like a lot of sound effects, like chains, a lot of like really cool intense drumming sounds, which definitely um, translates into stomping and clapping that you can. A lot of groups have incorporated into their set, which is really cool because um, for so long I feel like vocal percussion or just percussion of the rhythm section in general has been limited to vocal percussion, um, but a lot of groups that are able to add in aspects of body percussion, all that kind of stuff. It's been really cool and unique. Um, and this song definitely calls for that. It's kind of just already built in. So I think that's a lot, re- big reason why a lot of the groups are doing this song. And on that note, the stomping and clapping and body percussion definitely adds a huge aspect to the group's choreography and visual effectiveness. And I feel like stomp and clopping, et cetera, is not really done a lot. And so anytime a group adds it into their set, it's just really cool and fresh. Um, so I love that aspect, but please do it in a different song. <laughs> Bottom of the River is an amazing song, but at this point, every single version that I've heard has been completely the same. And I don't know, I feel like it detracts from your group's ability to perform a competitive set if you're just doing a song that is predictable. All that being said, here's an incredible version of my Vocal Rush. You'll probably remember them on Sing Off on season four, I believe. Or if you're just like super into the acapella world like I am and just know a whole bunch of useless acapella information, you will remember Vocal Rush. They're an incredible high school group that is amazing every single year. Um, so yeah, this is their version of Bottom of the River. Oh, baby, it's a long way down, a long way down If you get sleep or if you get night in the
3: morning,
4: baby check your cupboard for your daddy's again for tuning in to notable coverage here only on acapella i'm your host amanda tran if you want to talk about acapella different covers definitely at me on all social medias it's at amanda tran rocks that's at amanda tran r-o-c-k-s and i'll talk to you later bye
0: Boccoville folks out there welcome back to the show we have been discussing with our guest today Nick um uh, some really cool topics here uh, everything from the editing process uh, his background the the kind of process and the technical side of the, the acapella world a little bit and it's been quite the experience and so you know thanks for joining us today just to kind of divert a little bit uh you are a member of the house jacks which is really cool this is uh this is something that uh we have not had, had the chance to discuss a lot on the show so um what's what's life been with the house jacks uh, you know the house jacks are such a unique group in that so much of uh their performance can be kind of spontaneous there's a lot of original music there's a high level of artistry going on talk to us a little bit about your involvement with the house jacks and that that creative process with the group well
2: the house jacks i think without a doubt the house jacks has been the greatest thing to happen to my career for so many different reasons i mean first of all it's the first aside from Rocapella, which i knew about as a little kid watching where in the world is carmen Sandiego." <laughs> same here the House Jacks was the first professional cappella group that I ever knew existed, mm. and like the first time I listened to Kashmir, that just absolutely blew my mind. I mean, that was my that was my music growing up in the first place—the classic rock thing—and as a guitarist and a drummer, like that was my jam. And <laughs> then hearing that and Andrew Chaykin's ridiculous performance as mm-hmm. a vocal percussionist—I mean, that that took the whole thing to another level for me. Yeah. And so then when I got in the group, which was right off of working on the sing-off, because I'd been working with Austin, writing a lot of the, the cue and bumper music. So he was writing all this stuff, and then I was mixing it all in the hotel room in between doing all my other work. Busy, man. You know, it was busy, <laughs> busy place, yeah. I, like, being able to sing with, with Austin Willisy, whose voice I had known my entire acapella career, was absolutely crazy to me, like blew my mind, you know, <laughs> to be in a room with this guy, this voice that I had heard my whole life. Um So yeah, incredible experience. And then, and then my first gig, I mean, I, I got flown out to rehearse as like an audition. So they sent me 20 songs and flew me to San Francisco and we just sat in Deke's living room for like two hours and we just went bang, 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 and went through every song only once. And then we like went out for delicious, authentic Chinese food and then like came back and then they were like, yeah, cool. So, uh, we'll see you in Germany in three (laughs) weeks, fly into Frankfurt. And I had never been to Germany. I'd never, I'd never done a 17, 18 date tour where mm-hmm. you just sing 18 shows back to back and had never sung a show with the house jacks before. Like, you know, barely even knew what I was getting myself into. Most notably, the request thing, mm-hmm. which, and I, because I'm, I'm a super introverted person and again, like quite dorky and technical and stuff, performance has always been a thing that I'm consistently working on. That's not the thing that came naturally to me. However, it turns out if you want to make music for people, you have to do it in front of them. So it just (laughs) ended up being a crazy idea. Yeah, well, that's it. So, but, and you you can't get any more performance than doing the House Jacks request thing, where you're, Mm -hmm. for anyone who doesn't know what that is, we just take audience requests and whatever they want to, to hear, we will sing it, whether we know the song or not. Mm hmm. Obviously, you don't have any arrangements planned. You don't know who's going to do what around you. You don't know who's taking the lead or if you're going to get shoved up to do it. And then if you don't know the song, you're freestyling lyrics out of nowhere. And I mean, it's just complete mayhem. And occasionally, it actually works out to to be pretty resembling of music. Mm. Um, When it's not, we rely heavily on having fun and making the audience laugh, which is a big part of our show anyway. It's a very fun it's not, a, it's not a scripted show. It's, not, it's very loose. Like, it's not rigid in any way. Mm-hmm. Um, and the requests, of course, being, like, the, the biggest kind of party section of the show. So that I grew loads doing that. I mean, just being able to let go of all of my, yeah, but this is supposed to be a four chord. Why is he singing a seven? Like, <laughs> letting go of that stuff and just being able to go with the flow and do what's happening right now was mm-hmm.
1: huge for me. What's the most memorable experience you've had doing one of those requests? Like either craziest, most satisfying, or just weirdest?
2: (laughs) We did one, I don't know if it was Wrecking Ball maybe. It was in Germany, I think it was Wrecking Ball. (laughs) And you get the same ones, like in, in a given year, you get a lot of the same songs and stuff. So obviously, like if somebody stumbles upon something funny the first time, then you kind of just kind of go towards that the next time it happens. Like, oh, well, you know, Deke took this one the last time, so he'll do the same thing again. Mm -hmm. And with Wrecking Ball, somebody would run across the stage and bump into everybody else and whatever. But somebody, I think it was John Pointer, caught me in the solar plexus with an elbow or something and laid me (laughs) flat out on the stage. So that was memorable. Uh, I was not
1: expecting physical violence to be part of the answer that you gave, but it's still (laughs) exciting. (laughs) Well,
2: the thing is, it's hard. Yeah, it's hard to pick out. There have been some. I can't, I honestly can't think of one. Sometimes, like you just have these magical moments where this incredible mashup happens, where you're in one song and then somebody, it's usually Austin, comes up with this incredibly awesome way to tie another song. Over the top of another, and you're like, we are seriously making music right now. Like this was so unexpected with these two horrible song choices <laughs> strung together. Mm-hmm. So you get, we get some some really really cool things happen during requests, which of course is why we like doing it as a group. I mean, it's kind of nice to not have to rehearse 25 songs to do a show. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a that's a fringe benefit yeah. of it, I suppose. But you know, mm-hmm. we get to we get to explore explore music and and what like the house Jack's musical space. We get to explore it often yeah, by having that request thing in our show. And like we mm-hmm. come up with some really, really cool ways of working together through stuff that actually happens in the moment on stage, which is really cool.
0: Yeah, and I'm curious. So how much of, especially in regards to this, um, the request hour, how much is rehearsed or the how much of that process, is it rehearsed at all? Or is it all just really on the spot at all? Is there any way to kind of make it's that never, gel better? It's never or?
2: rehearsed. People watch it. And most of the time they're amazed that we're able to like make chords without ever having rehearsed stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously if when you have five yeah. arrangers in a group, everybody and, and you you know you've everyone sung this stuff for quite a long time, you can find your way onto a note that fits in a chord. Like that part of it honestly to me is not quite so thrilling. But what is amazing and what genuinely impresses audiences is how reactive we are to what's happening around us. And none of that's ever planned. It can't be. Mm -hmm. So if somebody decides to do a particular groove on something, everyone instantly follows it. You just, you have your antenna up all the time for something cool that's happening Mm -hmm. so that you can latch on and make something. Mm -hmm. We're just kind of looking for moments all through requests. So it's never really rehearsed.
0: Yeah. We've
2: thought about well you know if we wanted to like play it safe we could come up with like five or six different kind of beds that we always knew we could go back to if if we didn't know what we were doing Mm -hmm. but then we 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 invariably just decide you know what the thing that the audience loves almost as much as watching us kick ass on these things is fail at them (laughs) so that's a big part of it too and it it helps it helps the mood and it you know it challenges us to find find Mm. the humor in a song not not going very well and find something else that we can draw from that yeah um, instead
1: how much i'm curious how much would you say you have those kind of moments where it doesn't work out when you do have a failure during a, a request situation or during the request time of the show how often does that happen would you say was it more often than not? We've gone, okay, so we've gone through, uh,
2: in my time in the group, we've gone through a couple different mini lineups. Mm-hmm. The majority of the people, there's been there's been like decent continuity through things, but necessarily like, you know, maybe one person is different for a couple of years and then it's, it's usually the base. And so different lineups have different strengths during requests. That makes sense. And so it's hard to generalize, but I will say that the, best times for me it started really clicking for me as a request performer not to say anything about anyone else but it started clicking for me um, because again it was a challenge definitely a challenge at first it really pushed my performance skills when matt sally was our base mm-hmm. he and mark joseph went to university together and hung out a lot and had the same kind of the same everything language like they could basically just look at each other and they knew what was going to happen next. And something about that energy of seeing the two of them jump out in, in the middle of some song and start doing this perfectly choreographed dance that no one had ever seen before. And you're like, what the hell is happening? <laughs> that stuff was absolutely hilarious. And something about that finally sort of beat down my shields a little bit mm-hmm. and just let me let mm-hmm. me kind of put myself into requests the way I would have wanted to be able to the whole time. So... Mm-hmm. With that group, there was very little... That would ever really go awry because they could make something funny out of anything whereas some some other lineups where things have just been a little bit more technical and people are expecting to hear quote-unquote the right chords for a particular song like when that doesn't happen i think we got a little more deer in headlights mm-hmm. with with some other lineups so in that case it happened a little more frequently that we would just be like oh that's those aren't the right chords and we are really showing it <laughs> um so it just kind of it just but then other things were amazing because if we knew what the right chords were everybody could bang out this like basically record worthy arrangement Mm -hmm. right right you know what i mean so it's like were strengths and weaknesses to both both things and it just has to do with the lineup yeah
0: yeah and it's 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 very interesting that uh, this process that you're discussing with the the house jacks i really wish a lot of other acapella singers had this kind of experience it seems like we're we're all kind of more organized and Mm. go by the book kind of thing whereas the house jacks they they do this really cool inventive take on music that just really lends itself Mm. to the whole performance as a whole and I'm, I'm curious with your time with the house jacks has with the the creativity that you guys have infused into your shows and your performances has mm. that influenced other areas or other work that you've done with other groups has that changed kind of this this mm. process driven mindset that i'm, I'm kind yeah. of picking you know up
2: what it's done for me the you? most and i figured this out probably my second germany tour the audience is there to actually watch you do the thing that you're doing? Mm-hmm. That blew my mind. As somebody who's not a natural performer, it's like, wait, you you want to see me do this thing, and then you want you want to talk to me afterwards about it? And like recognizing the relationship that you are creating throughout the course of your show with your audience, recognizing that that exists, and the dynamic that you develop based on how you present yourself in your show, what your stage persona is how genuinely you present yourself and then how much posturing you do because you're a performer and you're on a big stage and you're under the lights and stuff and that balance which does have to be there i think that does that is important you know how you how you carry yourself Mm -hmm. but then there has to be a certain amount of your your real personality in that or else they can tell that it's disingenuous Mm -hmm. and how you interact with your fellow bandmates on stage and then therefore taking, taking it back off of performance, what does that mean during rehearsals and during your non-rehearsal time to create the kind of space and environment that you need with these people that you share this really intimate space with? Like how do you curate the right environment so that you can bring that dynamic that the audience is paying to see on stage with you every night you know how do you how do you carefully manage that? Yeah. the course of a tour where you're all in a dirty tour bus together where like you know may, mm-hmm. m- maybe things didn't go great on this particular tour. so everybody's feeling just a, just a little bit more stressed than they would be otherwise. All the interpersonal dynamics and stuff, I mean that all started to make so much more sense to me through my, through my work with the house jacks, particularly because there's so much of our performance that is made up so we can't rely on like yeah but I know this this perfectly sculpted arrangement like I know exactly how to present myself in this perfectly crafted bit that we do in our show so I can turn off and just present that thing I can act my way through this because it's so well crafted Mm -hmm. we don't have that space for quite a lot of our show and so you can't fall back on that in the way that you could necessarily in a different mm-hmm. kind of performance dynamic. It really made all of that stuff quite clear to me. And so obviously that informs my decisions through everything. I mean, it informs arranging choices I make. You know, oh, well, I could do this, but the audience is going to know that I'm, you know, full of crap. <laughs> so that's, that's not going to fly. Mm-hmm. They're, they're going to see through that, you know, like that kind of stuff. How I work with when I'm teaching the kinds of language that I use with groups and the kinds of things that I urge them to think about in the way that they work together, in the way that they rehearse, all of that stuff. Um, and it all really derives from the experiences I've had with the house jacks in that really hyper exposed, very human experience of literally making stuff up on the spot for 20 minutes.
1: Yeah, and Nick, I'm really connecting to like what a, a lot of the things you're saying, cause I'm someone who is very much like, okay, we arranged it this way and that's exactly how we have to do it. I'm very much like, by the book when it comes to musical performance just because I never really like improvisation was never a part of my music education growing up and it's something that I've just never been good at because I haven't had the opportunity to do it and part of that is putting yourself in a situation where and just hearing how you're talking about breaking down the barriers to kind of put yourself in that space where you could either fail or kind of fail and kind of almost like remove yourself from the spectrum of oh I nailed that arrangement or I didn't nail that arrangement and into this more amorphous kind of like well that was good in this context but it could have been better in this context and just like almost removing the kind of scale you place on yourself when you're so used to focusing on this is the very specific product that we are creating for this moment and allowing yourself to evolve beyond that in pursuit of something not only i um, more spontaneous, but even potentially more like true and heartfelt and powerful, I think is really, really cool. And, and it is definitely striking a chord with me because as a music educator, it's very easy to go with, okay, no, you are learning this and this and this by the book. And to make, and especially as a choir director, to make the music making you do more of reproduction than actual creation and generation mm-hmm. and creating new ideas. And the fact that it's in this space, you, what you said, like curating, you are actively trying to create Not only music, but a space for those ideas to be created, I think is just something that I think a lot of music educators are really trying to strive now to put into their programs and I think is really important for the whole acapella community. I really like that we're kind of pulling the curtain back here and just hearing about how these spaces are created because I think those are things that more acapella groups should try to create more spaces they should actively try to engender for the sake of yes, it's great to sing something really well that you have written and like worked on to like, you know, dotted your I almost said dotted your T's and striked your I's mm. but dotted your I's and, and, mm. and whatever. It's so cool to hear about how actively you pursue not just again creating a great arrangement, but creating a space where all of this originality and heartfelt performances and like these really honest expressions can come through. And I think it's something more groups should, I don't think they're afraid of doing it, but I think they just need more permission to pursue it. Mm. And uh, I really appreciate how much you just kind of shared with us about that process. And I think it's really valuable for everyone to hear.
2: Yeah. And that's, and, and, one other element to it that I think is worth mentioning, and particularly because you mentioned sort of the, pedagog- the pedagogical side of things, is the discipline of of learning how to execute something correctly mm-hmm. is really important. I mean, so I, I have a martial arts mm-hmm. background, and you train in martial arts. I mean, I started training when I was five, and you, you do that so that your body knows how to react to something when it's under stress. Mm-hmm. It's kind mm-hmm. of you know learning your rehearsal skills and ensemble skills and all that stuff is really important and it's kind of your musical martial arts training in the sense that when you're when you're in the middle of requests and you know the when you're in the middle of requests and stuff is hitting the fan your muscle memory can kick in Mm -hmm. and provide you some type of foundation upon which to stand because if you didn't have that if we all up there didn't have that it genuinely would fall apart so you're relying on so much stuff kind of being in the bones yeah that things things happen without you necessarily yeah. having to work too hard to make
1: that happen yeah i think that's really important because i think there can too often be a dichotomy between oh well like i work really hard at making music and arranging so i'm not really any good at improvising and seeing those as two ends of the spectrum where in fact the work you put into learn how to tune a perfect fifth or understand a chord progression, those inform your improvisational skills rather than improvisation just being something you're naturally good at. And some people are naturally good at one or the other, and that's there's nothing wrong with either of those, but that frames it so well that it's not just, well, you need to get up there and be willing to improv more. You do, but recognize that to be able to do that, you have to put in the work to create those like you said that muscle memory for those skills to develop as an improviser and as a performer that's that's really great yeah it's all it's all symbiotic i mean they all feed into each Mm -hmm. other so you have
2: to if you if you're great at one thing and not as great at the other work on the other thing and understand how they feed back into each other and you know it's all it's all connected so
0: yeah it's kind of cool this kind of concept of almost like I don't know, the way my mind pictures it. kind of retraining yourself. Because for me personally, I kind of did the opposite. I'm like, I came in as one who mm. did a lot of improv before I got my technical side of music. And then as I kept progressing through the years is when I started picking up the technical stuff. And just hearing your words on it, Nick, at the end of the day, you know, it, it comes back to that audience, kind of almost audience satisfaction a little bit. And I feel like that's where a lot more people need to kind of have their focus in the sense that hey it's it's just not self-pleasing at the end of the day it has to be about the art and what what's going to be receptive by the audience and that connection that both of you guys are talking about so it's it's something i agree with john that you know it's something that more groups need to challenge themselves with at the end of the day and you know the house jack's a great example that um,
2: that that human connection that we have as artists with the audience is the most important part of making music for people Mm and when you're in the middle of it particularly if you're in a group that kind of has its eyes set on innovating or reinventing those those sort of boundary pushing elements of things i because that's where i kind of came from through my experience with overboard and stuff i was a little off put the first time the house jacks did a very simple it was a a sam cook
1: just arranged that with my buddy earlier this year Mm, it's great mm -hmm. too (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's it's a really simple progression.
0: Mhm. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I feel like I just watched the like concluding scene of like an hour-long drama that just took everything that everyone was talking about and just wrapped it up perfectly in a bow. And just was like, that was the message of the episode. <laughs> uh, we got to take one more quick break, and there's no way that we can top what nick just said because that's i think the core of this exploration today and this episode so we're going to take one more quick break pass it on over to lisa hawkins with asking for directions and then we're going to be right back here on Tacapella.
3: hello my name is lisa hawkins and welcome to Tacapella's mini segment asking for directions where i'll be talking about different tips and tricks that will help your acapella group get to the next level so I went to a few acapella festivals last month and thought I'd share a few things that I learned. One of the classes that stuck with me was one that was taught by Georgia Renosto at Kettering AkaFest, and she sings in an incredible group called Women of the World, if you've ever heard of them. Um, her class was called Artist Development, and something she talked about was dreams and ideas. She said that dreams are the most important thing you can have in this world, and I 100% agreed with that. Without dreams, it's like... Why are we here? What's the purpose? I think in order to find that purpose for yourself, you have to kind of find your dream. And an idea is how you implement that dream. So if you think of anyone who's accomplished anything in their life, be it Walt Disney, Steve Jobs, founding Fathers, etc, they all had a dream and then had an idea of how to make a reality. So when we apply this to music, or more specifically acapella, What does it mean? Sure, most of you are probably in high school or college singing a cappella. so what does it matter, right? Well, your dreams don't have to be big, they just have to exist and be something that you strive for. Maybe it's competing in a competition or going to a festival or even as simple as having a gig outside of a school setting. Whatever it may be, it's important to have something that your group is working towards accomplishing. One, this raises morale by creating a feeling that they're a part of a team. And two, this increases their feeling of being a part of a community, which is something we've talked about before. And there's a bond that comes with accomplishing goals with the team. And this team aspect kind of brings me to my next point. In order to be successful, you must surround yourself with a good team. For acapella groups that may mean having an MD, an arranger, a social media person, a business manager, et cetera. And not only is this the best way to specialize and be efficient, but it truly becomes a team effort as opposed to one person kind of dragging the cause along, which is something I did. And I wish I'd realized sooner how it how much it raises morale when there are multiple people contributing to the cause. Besides, the more people you have, the better your idea is going to be on how to make your dreams happen. And depending on the nature of your dream, you may have different roles and divisions of labor, but Never forget that acapella is not possible without other people around you, because we're so used to kind of seeing ourselves as a unit, and it's true, I bet I think we have to kind of start looking ourse- looking at ourselves more of like as a sports team, like every member has something to offer, because at the end of the day, you can have the best marketing in the world, but you won't last unless you're good at your craft, and your craft is your sound, which is made possible by your team. So maybe next time, get your team together and think about what your next step is, what your next dream is and ideas on how to implement that and make that happen. So that is it for this week. But if you have any specific questions, I would love to hear them. You can post them on Acaville's social media sites, or you can reach out to me personally on Facebook or Instagram. You can follow me at Lisa.Yoda. Again, my name is Lisa Hawkins, and thanks for joining me on this week's mini segment of Asking for Directions.
0: Hello, Occaville Radio. Uh, We are back on Talkapella and what an episode it has been today. What an f- episode indeed. I know. I feel like philosophy and acapella have kind of converged at a, a certain intersection with today's episode because it's been that eye-opening, that mesmerizing with the conversation we've had today with Nick. So thank you so much, Nick, for joining us. Yeah. With our final segment, of course, we have a tradition around here where we always ask our guests to impart some advice upon the acapella community, anything that they're feeling up. Uh, Uh, What they should be thinking about, what they might want to improve on, whatever's on their mind, pretty much. So, Nick, if you could offer a piece of advice to the acapella world or to one particular person. As it's no one's before. ever going to
1: do it, uh, but one day <laughs> we're going to have someone come in saying my piece of advice after, especially after like a real long, heartfelt episode, they're going to be like, my piece of advice is that Danny needs to learn his part. And then we just drop the mic and that's going to be it. I want it to happen. I don't think it ever will, but maybe one day. One day we can yeah. keep
0: hoping. But uh <laughs> Nick, what what advice would you give the, the listeners out there?
1: Ah...
2: In, so the, the contemporary acapella scene has changed a lot since I was in it. Like the, Well, I, I should say the, specifically the collegiate acapella scene has changed a lot since I was in it. But generally speaking, so many more people know what, what this genre is now than they did 10 years ago. And I think one thing that I would recommend for groups of, of any age, scholastic or otherwise, is to focus on the things that make you happy and the things that feel genuine to you and your group. Because nowadays, there are actual markers that you can look at and go, oh, I'd like us to be more like this. Mm-hmm. I'd like us to be making music that sounds more like that. It's easier to see. There's, I think there are more measuring sticks out there now yeah. than there ever were before. And the stuff that genuinely resonates with an audience and the stuff that actually innovates does not come out of trying to place yourself on a measuring stick. It comes out of places of honesty. And that's because it's singing is such a human, intimate thing. And I think that's why people mm-hmm. why people find it so lovely to hear humans sing. We all have this voice. We're sharing music in a way that everyone can genuinely relate to in an intrinsic way. There's no like, there's no cerebral thing getting in the way of understanding how the music's being made. Right. And I think being honest and finding what is genuine for you and your group and making that and don't worry too much about where you may fall on various measuring sticks because at the end of the day those don't those don't really mean anything I saw a debate recently on Facebook and I'll take all the names out of it because it, it doesn't even have it you know it's not the point but it just people were talking about how the competition scene has has created certain repetition in a lot of the mm-hmm. stuff that's that's being done because you can you can look at things and go oh well there's a there's sort of a formula to how to win one of these things because historically you know people just do their homework and go oh well this sort of thing won last time and this sort of thing won the time before that and then you add all the parts together and then quantifiably Mm -hmm. you have a set that should win you know and but then your set doesn't and the thing is how somebody else got their group on that measuring stick you know may have been from a very honest genuine place and that's why they ended up there as a as a point of measure for everybody else that they weren't trying to be on the measuring stick they were just being themselves mm-hmm. and then it resonated with people so that's why they're there that's why they're of note so i think just remembering that being you and presenting yourselves is the thing that people are going to connect to that is the thing that's going to make them want to be connected with your group
1: well said nick that's great thank you very much for that nick if people want to get a hold of you see what you're doing in acapella check out any of your many projects how could they do that
2: I have a Facebook page, which is Gerard Music, and uh, I have a website, nickgerard.com. I'm old, <laughs> so I, ha- I have Instagram and Twitter and stuff, but I... I'll be honest, I don't use them that often, but I endeavor to use Instagram much more because I realize that that is sort of taken over as the king of social media, so. But otherwise, you can find me on tour with The House Jacks. If you happen to be in the UK or around Europe or in India or China, you can see me on tour with The Magnets. Themagnets.com is the website. Thehousejacks.com is the website for The House Jacks. Yeah, I travel around quite a lot. I get the benefit of being able to travel with my wife and stuff too, who obviously has been on this program before, Claire Wheeler, and she's a phenomenal musician. Musician and educator and stuff. So we've, uh, we're have we going to cook up some fun little things that we can bring our son on tour with us and make some music and
0: see some friends and have fun. So keep an eye out for that as well.
1: Awesome. Brian, where can we find you, man?
0: As always, you can find me on Twitter at the Brian, Alex, Brian with an eye. And for everything else, go follow all the mini channels that I, I manage with College Acapella.
1: Awesome. And then you can find me in the same place on Twitter and Instagram at John Lampus. That's going to do it for this episode of Tacapella. Nick, thank you so much again for coming on and really leading a very fruitful and thoughtful and really illuminating discussion on acapella and the, the kind of corner of it we decided to explore today.
2: My pleasure. Thanks for having me, guys. Really fun.
1: All right, everyone. That's it for this week's episode. We'll see you next week. And for everything acapella, please stay tuned.